today we'll see the beginning of a throwdown with the Jewish leaders as Jesus will heal a man. So hang tight. This is Bible Study Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin and I'm glad to be with you again tonight. Uh, I'd just like to say hello to all the new listeners out there and just say hello again to all of our returning listeners. We we really appreciate your support and uh, we've got an exciting show lined up for tonight. I'd also like to remind you before we get started of Mission Grow, our emphasis for this month as we're praying for mentors. We're praying for people who can come along and mentor us and uh, who we can mentor and who we can stand with as peers and and we're also praying for those who don't know Christ to come to us to uh, that we may witness that we may show them the love of Christ and so I just want to encourage you to keep praying you know keep sending me the results some of your emails have been encouraging and so I just want to let you know that uh, we're praying with you and we hope you'll pray along with us. So, uh, with that in mind, let, let's open up tonight by uh, responding to God's Word in prayer. Oh God, You are a God, Lord, and, and we seek You earnestly. Lord, we thirst for You. We yearn for You, Lord. It, and Lord, we, we look for Your power, we look for Your glory, because Your loving kindness is better than life. So Lord, we will praise You. We will bless You as long as we live. We'll lift up our hands in Your name. Lord, in you we're satisfied, and we thank you for allowing us to come to you again to hear from your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. As we open today, I'd like to encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 5. Today, we'll see the beginnings of the Jewish resistance to Jesus' ministry. You know, now, we've kind of seen this a little bit as... We saw a conflict beginning to brew back in chapter 1 of John as the Pharisees spoke with John the Baptist. And we saw it again even more clearly in John 3 as Jesus just ransacked the temple, overturning the sellers' tables and uh, turning away basically the Jewish leaders' income stream. But from here on out, you know, while those tensions were kind of upbeat and they were there, the tension will get stronger and stronger and stronger throughout this book, leading ultimately to the cross, as we'll see. So let's start out tonight in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And it reads, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. After these things, as you may remember from the last two weeks, refers to uh, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter with the official whose son was healed. Now, when John says the Jews, you can basically just pencil in the Jewish leaders there. He's not talking about the nation as a whole. He's talking to the leaders specifically. So whenever you see that, just remember, these are not just your everyday rank-and-file Jewish people. This is the leadership, the people in charge. So as we read on, we'll see in verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. Now the sheep gate was on the north side of the temple compound in Jerusalem. And kind of beside of it, up to the northeast a little bit, was a pool. Now we actually know from archaeology findings today that this was probably two pools that were put together to look like one giant pool. And this area was known as Bethesda. Now that means the house of mercy. Now, this detail of the five porticos seems to be kind of minute, but it actually shows us something important. 
shows us that this was a popular site. Porticos were covered colonnades. They were basically these great halls on the sides of buildings which people could kind of hang out under and just meet and greet. And so to say that there's five porticos is saying that we don't just need one or two. We need a lot of porticos. There are a lot of people hanging around this area. So that detail shows us that this is not just, you know, maybe two or three people sitting around and Jesus walking up to the scene. This is a crowded area. There are lots of people here. And as we read on through verses 3 and 4, we see that there are, in fact, many who are sick and blind and lame and withered who lay by this pool. Now, why? Well, apparently there was an idea, and we'll pick up here at the second part of verse 3 and verse 4, where it says, Waiting for the moving of the waters, speaking of the sick people, they waited for an angel of the Lord who went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So we kind of see that there's apparently some kind of idea that there was an angel that may have stirred the pool and the first one in was made well. Now, as you'll notice, this section in your Bible is found in brackets. That's because it, it's kind of a disputed section. There's there's some question as to whether it was actually in the original manuscripts. It was not found in the earlier manuscripts, but but was in some of the later manuscripts. So there is some dispute as to whether this was something added later, kind of as a descriptive telling of why are there many sick people laying around this pool. And there's some people who, who just say it has nothing to do, it's myth. And, and they point to the fact that this doesn't seem merciful. It doesn't seem to line up with the rest of the Bible to say there's an angel who goes and stirs a pool and just one person gets healed. Now, I'm not going to really tell you any position on it because, I, quite frankly, I think it is kind of mysterious and, and I'd like to let you think that through on your own. So however you want to handle it, I'll leave that up to you. But the important part is that the the people here, the many who are hurt, are wanting to be healed. And they can't do it on their own, and so they've come to the pool for healing. That's why the name Bethesda is very important. It, it actually means the house of mercy, you know, the house of healing, if you will. And so this is the backdrop that's set up as we enter into verse 5, where we meet our guy. Verse 5 says, A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I could not even imagine being ill for 38 years. And as we'll see in a moment, this is not just sick like having the croup. This is sick to the point that you're bedridden. He has to sit on a pallet, on a mat. I could pretty much imagine that doing that for 38 years, you probably are feeling pretty hopeless. You know, there's probably no chance. There's no way you're going to be cured. After all, you've been living with this for so long. Well, Jesus sees him lying there by the pool, and the text says that he knew that the man had been in his condition for a long time. Now, just asking questions on the side here, how did Jesus know this? Well, remember back, as we said earlier, where John mentioned that he knows all men. This is because he's God. He, he's omniscient. He knows all things. And so... We're seeing a little insert here by John saying he saw the man and he knew that he had been in this condition for a long time. So he's he's kind of showing us this is not just Jesus man walking around. This is Jesus the God man walking around. Well, when Jesus sees him lying there, 
He sees the man and he asks him, Do you wish to get well? Now what a bizarre question. You know, of course he does. Of course he would want to get well. He, he's laying on a mat. He can't do anything. But this is not just kind of a crazy question. It's not like Jesus was just out to lunch and say, Oh, you wouldn't want to get healed, would you? No, this is a question of the will. He is directly saying, Do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be changed? You know, the question is not semantics at all. It, it's saying, Do you want a change in your life? Are you willing to take the step? Well, the man's answer in verse 7, I think, is very telling. He answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. You know, in other words, he's telling Jesus that I don't have anybody to put me in the pool, and I'm not strong enough myself to get into the pool. Anytime I start walking down there, somebody jumps in before I can. In other words, he basically tells Jesus, Well, yeah, I would like to be healed, but I can't. I can't get well. No one will put me in, and I can't do it myself. You see, this man had tried all he could, but he was not healed. He went to the place of healing, the place of mercy, but he couldn't get in. No one would take him, and and he wasn't strong enough to get in. And so others beat him into the pool, and he failed. He laid by the side of the pool, sick, on his pallet, on his mat. This is the situation he's in. He's so far gone that when Jesus asks him if he'd like to be healed, he just takes it as second nature. There's no way. It's not happening. I've tried. It's not happening. But Jesus doesn't mess around with with words himself. He doesn't play any word games with him. We see in verse 8, he just directly tells him, Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Notice that the man never asked to be healed. Notice that we don't see any call to faith as we did back with the official. If you remember back in the end of chapter 4, we said with the royal official, Jesus made the comment about how the man had no faith, and then the man demonstrated faith. And while that was going on, his son was healed. Not because of his faith, but because of God's mercy. Well, we're kind of seeing the same idea here. He was not healed because of his faith. It's nothing that the man himself could do. It was totally because of the grace of God through Christ. And so Jesus commands the man to get up. What's the result? Verse 9 says, Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. (laughs) You know, as if there was any question at all, John just puts that in there. It's immediate, right away. Picks up his stuff and goes. Now, of course, this story is about more than just a man being healed. You know, and as cool as that is, as as great as it was that the man was healed, there's more to this than just that. The story is about to explode, as we see here this little side comment at the end of verse 9. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, let's go on to verse 10 and see. So the Jews, remember the Jewish leaders, were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. You see, the Jewish leaders had become so legalistic by this point that they had missed the entire point of the commandment which ordered them to keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy. They didn't follow it as a reminder of God's grace. They didn't follow it as a reminder of the fact that God doesn't need our help, that God is already at work and He just wants us to join with Him. They didn't follow it like that. They didn't get the point of why there was a Sabbath. 
No, they just took it as another rule, another law to put in the book. In fact, they enforced it to the extremes. They said you couldn't lift weights over a certain amount. You couldn't cook certain foods. You couldn't do certain things. You could do this, but you couldn't do that. I mean, it just got ridiculous to the point where it was no longer about a time of rest as much as it was not doing something illegal. In fact, if you did something that broke this law, it could result in your stoning. They could kill you over this. So this has become way out of whack. This has become way out there in terms of the Jewish leader's approach to the Sabbath. And so this is why we see a big deal is being made here. It says, hey, 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 it's the Sabbath. You don't do that kind of stuff. Well, the man, in a way, kind of backpedals on him and says, Hey, he who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. In other words, he's saying, Hey, hey, I'm not just doing this. I'm not just breaking the law because the guy that made me right, the guy that healed me, he told me to do it. It's him. It's on him that I'm doing this for. Now, of course, as it is with anybody who's overly legalistic, the Pharisees were not going to be happy with this answer. This would not satisfy them. You know, they're out for blood. They want, they want to take out those lawbreakers, those bad people. And so we see here in verse 12, they ask, Well, who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? You know, now I could just imagine, I, I don't know about you, but I could see the scene there. As you see these Pharisees saying, why are you carrying your pallet? And he says, because somebody told me to. Well, who told you to? Well, the man responds, I don't know. He says in verse 13, The man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Now, this is something that we'll kind of mention as a side note, but it is an interesting occurrence, and we'll see it three more times in the Gospel of John, where there's a conflict coming up between Jesus and the Jews. You can see it's coming. You know it's about to happen. You know that as soon as the Jews find out Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, something's going to happen. Something is breaking loose on this. But Jesus is not there. He, he just kind of slipped out of the way. We see this in John four times as he avoids the conflict before it is his time. It's not his time to die yet. You know, as we, as we will continue to see, there is a specific time that Jesus was meant to die. That time has not come yet, and so he slips away to avoid the conflict for the time, and he moves on. So, Jesus is off, they can't find him, and so the interrogation ends for the time being. But we see something interesting in verse 14. It says, afterwards, meaning after this interrogation had finished, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, Jesus tells him that since you can see your will, you should sin no more. Why? So that nothing worse may befall you. Now, what is he talking about? Is he talking about so you won't get sick again? Is he trying to imply that his illness was from sin? I don't think he was. I mean, ultimately, illness does come from sin, but I don't think that's the point Jesus is making here. I think he's trying to show us how much he cares for this man and show us what's important. You see, sure, his body is healed, but is his soul safe from the pits of hell? I mean, that is the question here. Surely he's learned at least this much from the 38 years of suffering that whatever he had in pain then, it's nothing compared to hell. 
nothing compared to what could happen if you don't get yourself right with God. And so I think it's very profound that Jesus comes to the man. He's healed his body. Now he goes about for the soul. And he tells him, don't sin anymore. You know, basically, you've been warned. You know what will happen. Now there is some debate as to whether the man accepted Christ or not. And as we see here in verse 15, he goes and he tells the Jews that Jesus made him well. Now whether this is showing a lack of faith, as some people say, or, or whether this is just the man trying to get the eyes of the leaders off of him, the fact remains that the Jews now know that Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. And this is why verse 16 reads, For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was breaking the law as far as they were concerned. They don't put up with that. You know, this is my house. We don't do that way in my house. That's the Jewish sentiment at this time. So when Jesus is healing people, no matter how good it is, he's still breaking the law in their eyes. And so they will try to persecute him. But Jesus answers in verse 17. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now what significance does that line have? Well, verse 18 says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. You see, the Jews realized it at this point. You know, when someone tries to tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God, point them to this passage. The Jews realized that's exactly what he was doing. He was claiming his divinity here. He was saying that, God the Father works on the Sabbath, so must I. In other words, because I am part of the Godhead, because I am God, I must heal this guy. Now this completely sets off the Jews. And this sets the stage for what we'll see next week when we'll see Jesus lecture the Jews on his relationship to the Father. But for now, let's see what we can take from this. As we know that God's word is always relevant in our lives. I think the first thing we can see is the man's healing shows us that God can change your life through Christ no matter how hopeless your situation is. Now while this is a little bit storytelling with it, it is important to know the man was hopeless and Christ changed his life. Further, I think it enlightens us as to why we must suffer long term. It's because ultimately God has some purpose for which he has placed you in light of eternity. Had this man not been sick for 38 years, we may never have had this event as the springboard for Jesus' discourse, which we'll cover next week. God is faithful, so we must trust him. This man's sickness, while it definitely didn't feel good to him, led us to this very discussion we will have next week about Christ's relationship to God the Father. And so it was important. It had a purpose. He didn't just hurt in vain. Finally, I, I think Jesus' concern for the man shows us the importance of grace and salvation. Jesus went and found the man in order to tell him to prepare his soul. The question of sin was directly asked by Jesus. And I kind of want to ask you the same. Will you turn to Christ and let him change you so that you won't have to experience worse things? I think that's what we're left with, and I think that's where we'll close out this week. Now next week, as I said, we'll continue in chapter 5, and, and we'll see Jesus' discourse to the Jews on why 
he can say the things he says, on why he can heal on the Sabbath, on what his relationship is to the Father. But I hope what we can see here is that Jesus heals the man because of his grace. The man did nothing to deserve it. The man did nothing to enact it. Jesus alone did it. And Jesus can do the same in your life. Now, while it may not be a physical sickness you're dealing with, we all have the problem that this man seems to have had. We all have sin in our lives. So I want to encourage you. Jesus is offering to change your life. He asks you, will you be healed? And through his death on the cross, he has given the payment for your sin. So the question for you remains the same as it was for this man. Will you go and sin no more? Will you accept the gift of God? Will you accept the fact that he has died for your sin and has paid the price for your sin? And will you believe in him in faith and trust him as your Lord and Savior and be changed forevermore? Well, friends, that's all of our lesson for tonight. That's all that we have for now. Until we meet again, may God bless you. Come Oh